This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at Media Week magazine and our new online home, mediaweek.com.au. We chat weekly with people in all sectors of the media and more podcasts just like this can be found at mediaweek.com.au or on iTunes. Welcome to the Media Week podcast where we review the events of the week, joined by Crudy Joshi and Dan Barrett from Media Week. Um, what's been uppermost in our minds this week? Uh, the one thing that really stood out to me is, just because it's kind of my personal passion sort of area, Ken Star Blue Report earlier this week. So Kenstar Blue, uh, it's a research firm. They sent out a media release that stated uh, the customer sentiment of subscription TV services in Australia. So they were looking at Netflix, Stan, Foxtel, Presto, and Quickflix, and seeing what customers, they had a survey base of about 2,000 people, and generally what people thought about about it in terms of overall satisfaction, value for money, range of content, ease of sign-up, and new release availability. And pretty much across the board, Netflix really seems to own it, with the exception of one or two categories. And I thought it might be interesting if we just sort of talk about this for a moment. Sure. So um, they, they had an overall ranking plus rankings in each category, right? So That's Netflix it. was number one. Was Foxtel second? Okay. So overall satisfaction, five stars for Netflix. Foxtel came in number three. And I think that really comes down to price. So Foxtel was third. It was third. Who was at number two? Uh, so it was Netflix, Stan, then Foxtel, then Presto, and then Quickflix. Wow, Stan beating Foxtel, that's... Uh, sorry, we should say Foxtel, Presto, and Quickflix all equal third. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's suddenly put uh, Quickflix back on the radar. Uh, well, it has. I don't quite understand why <laughs> Quickflix is included in this, but here we are. Uh, what I think this comes down to is purely, they're saying overall satisfaction, but I think price plays a very big role in this. So Foxtel's $26, as opposed to Netflix and Stan, which are both $10 and under for your entry-level package for Netflix at least. I think that can go up to about $14 at most. Uh, then also you look at Presto, which I think for overall satisfaction, if you want to get both packages, it's $15 for that. So I think that when people look at what they're spending per month for the um, return they're getting entertainment-wise, you can kind of see why Netflix would be sort of ahead on those sort of scales. And Stan as well, I think, do have a very similar proposition. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think um, it's pretty good rating for Stan, isn't it? Because they say they're still in early days, mm. up against a couple of um, big competitors in Foxtel locally, Netflix globally. But you've seen a reason this week why I think Stan's going to have a very good uh, month next month. Ah, uh, yeah. So I got to see Wolf Creek. I'm under embargo, so I can't say if it's good or not. But I will say I'm perfectly happy watching the next five episodes. You know, read into that what you will. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that when people see this going around and hear people talking about it, Wolf Creek's going to be a very good driver for them. And also for something like Stan, where if you produce an Australian production on the scale that they need to, they can't just make it for Stan. It needs to be able to sell globally. And I think Wolf Creek actually does have that uh, global recognition for it to be able to sell quite well, particularly into Europe. Yeah, look, I, what I love about it, it's really going to get lots of discussion and people who don't know about Stan are going to be given a reason why they should perhaps investigate it. Mm. I presume they'll probably have the 30 days free trial still running. I think that's, that's, that's still just going, ongoing, yeah. isn't it, always? It's a standard thing for platforms like this. Um, I should say overall satisfaction and value for money. If you actually look at the trends on this survey, it's exactly the same. So Australian consumers, I think, are very price conscious and that's really tapping in there. What I thought was particularly notable was range of content. So Netflix only ranked fourth. Foxtel were definitely ahead of them on that and stand just behind Netflix. But what really stuck out was new release availability. 
where both Netflix and Stan had three stars, uh, Foxo had five, and Presto only had two stars. And I think that's actually unfair to Presto, where when you actually look at the movie selection that they have, I think Presto actually romp it across pretty much everything because they do have all the new release films because it's reflective of what's on Foxtel. So for price against what you're receiving new release-wise, it's actually really good. Where, and I mean, I say this regularly about Presto, uh, it sort of falls down to the TV library where you have all these new release movies, but the TV shows feel a little bit dated or they're things that are just far from Broadway. So they had a good announcement this week with Mindy Project coming, but Mindy Project is a little bit sort of off the radar, not as hot as it once was. And I think that great acquisition, but not what it was if they got it, say, two years ago. Which I'm they weren't around two years ago, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Mindy Project, and I just recently tweeted out saying that I'd probably get Presto just for that. But you also said to me, <laughs> off mic, uh, was it yesterday when it was announced, that you haven't really liked it for the last year or so. Well, no, I stopped watching it just because yeah. it was hard to access it, and I really didn't want to go off, um, you know, non-legal paths in order to watch it. Well, you wouldn't have seen it since season two because seven haven't like seven are screening it again now after a long hiatus. See, and I they're only really screening know that. the end of season two on Seven Flicks. I didn't know that, so now I'll be going to Seven Flicks for my the Windy Project. Yeah, and I, I think that that's I think it's a good it's a good announcement for Presto. I think they've certainly needed one. They did sort of promote their movies a little bit uh, last month. It was it something like. I can't remember the stats. There were some stats about the top 100 movies from the box office. They had like 90% of them. I, I remember them talking about like the top 10 money earners in the Australian box office last year. Was it only 10 year. or was more than 10? Well, I, this is the one I remember. And they okay. were saying they had six of the 10. Right. So it's sort of on that But scale. they've got most of the big movies you can get there. Pretty so. much. If there's a big release film, it will be on Presto at some and point. I think we'll, we're going to be talking to them next week. So we'll find out a little bit more. But I'm mm. not convinced about their Australian content strategy. I think their pricing strategy still is a little really awkward but but we might move on to that just you mentioned you're under embargo for um wolf creek i did sign something james well i'm not going to ask <laughs> you about that but just in general in far of, as as far as spoilers go so it's not really connected with embargoes but with with on demand content mm. what's the deal with spoilers i mean how long have you got away Okay, well, I mean, we could talk about this for a full half hour, but we won't. Uh, spoilers, I think it depends who you're talking to. My personal philosophy is that if it's on a streaming service, I think after a month, I think it's just open season. You can talk about whatever. I think people have time, especially if it's only six episodes. Like, people have the time to do it. But even so, I don't think I'd be screaming from the rooftops the major sort of plot points. But I think mild things along the way, not such a big deal. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I've just watched the end of House of Cars, and I'd love to talk about the last episode. So, but I just feel like oh, yeah. I can't really. But then, because I did an interview with one of the creators of the US House of Cards, and this was over a year after the episode had screened, and I asked him a question about one particular plot point, and he goes, oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, some people think it's a lot longer, maybe. This is the danger with the high-profile streaming shows where people want to talk about them. But, I mean, my personal view is that most of the TV that people watch on these streaming services, people aren't really talking about it with their friends. There'll be one or two shows which are a little bit questionable, but for the most part, that conversation's non-existent. So... While I see a lot of people arguing for the fact that, oh, streaming's ruining TV because you can't talk about it anymore because our conversation's a big part of the TV experience, I think that we talk about so little, uh, so, so few TV shows that I kind of prefer the streaming model for this. So I don't mind the sacrifice one has to make in not talking about the big marquee things like House of Cards every so often. 
just on streaming now, you noticed um, Foxtel have been um, good. Brian Walsh talked to the Media Week magazine not too long ago. He talked about, look, there there will be a real focus on uh, on-demand content, uh, what we can stream to our customers when they want it, not so much on the linear channels. You're picking that up, uh, Dan? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when Brian Walsh was talking to you, I think he said no more linear channels. So, I mean, I'm not quite sure how tight they'll hold to that, but that's what he was saying. The emphasis is now so much more on the anytime and the marketing this week when they were promoting the fact that Wentworth is coming back for season four and also Game of Thrones, they were really talking up on Foxtel and Foxtel anytime. So they're really emphasizing the idea of their content, not just being available online, but being available as individual shows to be able to watch when you want and how you want to watch it. So that I think is a really important branding shift for them. And it'd be very interesting to watch the next few months, how that aligns with things like their new proposed set-top box they might be releasing. How long has uh, Foxtel Anytime been around for? Oh, they've only been using the slogan, like, just like a year or so. Like, it's been a very gentle phrase, but it's only now they're going harder, that phrase. Mm. Right. It's a great time to do it, of course, with Game of Thrones, Wentworth, all those big shows in April that that will resonate with their viewers. Yeah. Um, Also at Foxtel this week, Be In Sports, they've done a deal. They've brought them... from being a freestanding add-on package of three channels to part of the sports package to try and make up for some of the international um, football content they lost when they lost the English Premier League to Optus, which, um, again, I'm sort of amazed by the amount of interest in this, um, this change amongst, I guess, sports fans. When you look at the number of people who actually watch these games, there's no correlation there between the two. Yeah, well, I think it's just that it's a high passion point for them. So it's definitely one of the more important games that are going over. But the BN Sports, um, like three-channel acquisition, I thought was particularly interesting because Foxtel really beefing up their sports package. And we have heard in the news about the efforts to try to bring Fox Sports into the Foxtel company as a whole. So, I mean, that probably aligns quite nicely there because you have to think Foxtel, like sports, is really the driver for it and will only be more important as time goes on. Yeah, you've got to think, too, the amount of money this might have cost them. Oh, yeah. Compared with what they forego in deciding not to bid for the EPL right. But this is the foundation of their company now going forward. I don't think any amount of money is really too much if they want to be able to maintain the market position they have. Mm-hmm. But a lot of sports fans, like I was just looking at a lot of Twitter comments when we tweeted out that news story, um, a lot of them were still you know, criticising the fact that it doesn't kind of it doesn't build up for the effort of you know losing EPL to Optus so I thought that was quite interesting um, about whether you know more people will actually sign up to Optus to watch those EPL games or are they just going to you know opt for illegal ways um, to watch these games. I think people always like to be more vocal about feeling hard done by than things that are kind of just beneficial to them so if for example, a few months ago when Optus announced the EPL, if it was Foxtel saying, oh, we've got the EPL again, you'd see a couple of people tweeting, oh, that's good news, and they'll move on with their life. And it's the same thing that's happening here. People are like, oh, new channels is good, you know, it's going to help me out. But they're not really there. Outraged, so you're not going to see as much commentary or passion online <laughs> for something like this. Yeah. Interesting. I think um, B in Media, the same parent company as uh, Al Jazeera, and Al Jazeera this week were announced, I think, about 500 redundancies yeah. globally as they change their sort of news strategy a little bit. So, But their sports business seems to be still uh, yeah. thriving. And Al Jazeera obviously well. had the contraction, was it earlier this year, late last year, with uh, Al Jazeera America shutting as well. So yeah. That was earlier know, this year, I think. Yeah. So being sports is obviously going to be a huge driver for that company. 
for sure, for sure. Um, another media company going through a few redundancies, also not quite 500, but I think about 120 um, announced, what was it, in March, and then just this week another 12 down at the Canberra Times. Is Fairfax Media still undergoing some uh, pressures? Uh, I was size, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> just disappointing, isn't it, when, uh, when people are laid off like that? Oh, it can, is, yeah. but, you know, I was thinking, like, Canberra Times should have been a tabloid a long time ago. That's why I was amazed, because in my mind it was a tabloid. And so to hear that it's going from broadsheet to tabloid starting today was something that I was quite amazed with. Um, and also because they're pushing digital, so I think uh, moving forward they want to be... They want to be self-sufficient in as less money as possible, basically. So it's just, it sounds really harsh, and I do feel for everyone losing their jobs, especially because it's hard to find one again. Um, if you look at it, at it from an executive point of view, it's kind of understandable when you are you know, trying to cut down on the company's costs. Hmm. I was particularly fascinated with, on the Media Week TV show, which airs on Sky Business on Thursday afternoons, uh, James was talking to Greg Highwood there, and there was a question that came from the host of the program. Nadine. Nadine, Nadine Blaney. Yeah, uh, who's very good. Uh, she asked him about video content on the Fairfax sites, and she was saying that while there's definitely video there, it's not really sort of a driving force of journalism. And he really defended it, saying that, no, no, that video is like there at the top of every story. And I kind of think that's maybe sort of part of the future proofing that isn't quite happening at Fairfax. They recognize the need for video, but they're not also embracing video at its true strength, which is as an individual news item as opposed to something that's just attached to an existing print story. Yeah, well, I don't think there is video at the top of every item. I find come across very few video stories that they've mm. originated, and I think they've backed off video big time. But I feel they need a destination to go to to watch video content from them, because they do produce good stuff there, but you have to go to individual news sites, and if I'm at work, I'm not going to watch the video because I've got to you know, look like I'm working. So, <laughs> yeah, it's And it's also useless talking about the power of video, but they're not investing in it. So if you're cutting back all these jobs, then you need to be able to show that you're reinvesting somewhere else. So if you know if they're showing that then it you know it seems viable but if that's not happening then it's like well why are you letting go of all these people who can you know who are driving in traffic for you with their stories yes yeah, see i don't think it's a one-for-one one thing like i don't think you can lose one print journalist and go one video journalist i think it's really just the contracting of oh no i operations. mean like you should be able to reinvest somewhere i'm not saying let go of one print journalist mm. and hire a video journalist because obviously that doesn't work in terms of costs but I think um, if you're putting in the effort of retraining your journalists or, you know, giving them more training to be able to produce across multiple platforms, then it seems viable. Yeah, no, I think I've made the investment. That's just not across multiple platforms is the issue. A couple of things that I'll remember about the interview. We talked, you talked about the long tail of um, stories they have. So they've been able to identify a lot of the stories that they because it's a lot of web contents about volume, just pump out as much as you can. They think they've, they've got lots of stories they publish that hardly anyone ever reads, or, or very small numbers anyway, so they think they can get rid of all that stuff, so therefore they'll need less people to write all the stories. And I questioned him about the... Um, he said, look, the number of journals we had back 30, 40 years ago, they were very productive, you know, and I said, well, don't they, you need a lot of people because you cover more areas. So in answer to that, he said, look, we won't be writing as much, but he said, even back then, the story count was much the same as today with, uh, you know, a lot less people. Mm. Um, 
also this week, it was interesting that the new Nielsen um, Digital Ratings Monthly data showed that Fairfax Media is Australia's biggest publisher, and their numbers have gone up significantly because they, Nielsen and the IAB say they can better uh, monitor the mobile audience out there. Yeah, I mean, I find just from general consumption, I don't really have a loyalty towards News Corp or Fairfax, but I do find myself a lot more looking at the Fairfax sites. So content-wise, it's doing something which news just isn't quite hitting. Mm. So what that is, I'm not too sure. I haven't really sat down and analysed it at all, but yeah, just from personal use, I find that. Yeah, I guess as a as one individual um, publisher, news.com.au, or one individual brand still ranks number one, mm. but I guess the combined sort of uh, power of the City Morning Herald and the Age websites, and uh, to a certain extent the AFR as well, they combine and to really give Fairfax a strong, strong overall audience. Do you think it's the paywall as well that's causing some issues here? I mean, I do find myself occasionally clicking on a Herald Sun article and just being frustrated and move on with my life. Yeah, but it's a paywall at Fairfax too, isn't it? There is, but I think it's more um, for media and more premium content where if I was, you know, just looking for my news, I think there is uh, less content behind the paywall at Fairfax than there is at News Corp. Having said that, I do go to news.com.au a lot, but in terms of the total number of brands, like across in both of those publishers, I do end up going to, say, The Age or The Sydney Morning Herald more than, you know, say, The Daily Telegraph, just because I know that I'll be um, confronted with a paywall if I do go on it just because the normal content is behind paywall. So some of the um, stories that are behind the paywall at the Daily Te- on the Daily Telegraph website, if I go to news.com.au, it's available for yeah. free. So I think they also need to revise that model. Yeah, yeah, there still is a bit of confusion, I think, about who's where, where you should be going to for a story. Should, do I need to subscribe to the... The Daily Telegraph, for example, if I can get most of their stories without subscribing at uh, news.com.au. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I can easily bypass that paywall. Like, I'm not against paying for good content, but as any person, if I can get it for free, I probably will go to news.com. And that's also, it's not like I'm going to a different publisher or anything. It's the same publisher, but it's just available for free. The uh, the. The new figures for February that were released in those uh, digital ratings monthly, uh, most publishers' audiences jumped significantly. No one really jumped more than the other. There seemed to be an overall percentage increase, and those rankings for the top 10 news sites, I think they call them, uh, the rankings didn't really change much with news still at uh, number one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really just a sign of people becoming more comfortable with mobile and other online consumption. So as more people become a bit more digitally savvy, people have better bandwidth, people just consuming more. Now, Dan, you were tracking um, BuzzFeed's a player in that sort of news space, maybe more newsy now than they have been in the past. Uh, What have they been up to? Yeah, I mean, I've really grown their company from being cat videos to (laughs) actually having some real substance there. So they are certainly hitting a very specific sort of market of whom aren't necessarily out there to just get news, like it's really a mix of news and lifestyle on BuzzFeed. But what was interesting this week is they launched their BuzzFeed app into the Australian market. So now if you download the app, you can find a lot of Australian stories in there mixed in with um, other global content. And what's really particularly interesting about it is that we're seeing a shift from the big media companies of whom are really digitally savvy and really understand the mobile space, and they're really investing heavily in apps and the reason for it is is that if you've got the app on your phone one is taking up more real estate on your phone so you're more likely to see the logo when you're you know perusing but also you've got the issue where it has notifications 
So anytime there's a major story on the BuzzFeed app, they'll send out a notification to its users. And the one thing that's really catching people's attention nowadays as consumers is notifications. Think about Facebook. As soon as you see that little number pop up in the top of your screen, you click on that to see what people are saying on your feed. Works the same with news. If BuzzFeed send out, you see a little box pop up on your phone saying, oh, there's an interesting story. You're more likely to click on that than if they just assume that you'd come across it on social somewhere. So pushing it to the front of your phone is a huge requirement these days. And you're seeing that. Uh, during the week, I filed a story for the magazine, which you'll see in a few days, uh, talking about the expansion of media companies like BuzzFeed investing into Snapchat Discover which is a news thing on Snapchat. And that's the exact same principle, which is that a notification comes on your phone saying, oh, you know, something's been published by BuzzFeed, click on that, on you go. So huge release for the Australian market as far as BuzzFeed's concerned. That Snapchat Discover is not really new, new. I mean, it hasn't caught on, but it was released, I think, mid last year. It, it's only been late, uh, early this year that Australian uh, publishers have been able to access it. So and that's news. why News.com's been on it for a while since now. February oh. well that's two months coming that's a long time these <laughs> long days. time that is a long time well, it's almost six weeks now other news apps that have been doing well for people here I think the Australian and both nine news have got uh, news alert uh, separate apps which uh, mm. I think are both giving them a bit of traction and users say they really like because again as you said it just gives you a notification you don't have to go and chase it up it just pops up and you can be kept up to date with, with what's happening yeah that's exactly it yeah. Um, Sky News was in the news for a couple of reasons this week. <laughs> They've signed Petta Credlin. Mm. Uh, it was speculated she would be joining the, uh, the uh, Foxtel News Channel. They confirmed it this week. Uh, Angelo Frangelopoulos um, said, yes, look, she's coming on. I think in May she starts. Well, she's only there for election-based coverage, though, isn't she? Yeah, that's what she said in a tweet. And it was funny because when she confirmed... What did I say? Oh, no, we're just saying generally. No, like, generally, right, yeah. we're just, yeah. Uh, no, when she tweeted out that news, she also had a sentence about, I'm like the mould you can't get rid of. So that was <laughs> <laughs> that was quite funny because then she became, she quickly became a trending topic after that and somewhat of a joke. Um, but I'm just thinking, I'm just sitting there and thinking, you know, she's been involved with uh, Tony Abbott's uh, government quite Careful. heavily. Uh, well... <laughs> well she was yeah. his chief of staff. I think that's a very safe statement to make. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, but, yeah, so I don't think... I think it's a really good get for Sky News, especially because she is such a talking point. And when they announced this um, recruitment, uh, you know, spread the word out and everyone was really talking about it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things Sky News does best is that insiders' uh, insight. They've, they have a lot of uh, former or current um, staffers who've worked uh, in... in um, in the offices at, at, for politicians in Canberra. So it's great to get their commentary, especially at election time. Yeah, they've really got that great sort of beltway inside um, activity. Uh, what was also interesting with Sky News is just that report coming from Fairfax earlier, the week, earlier this week. And there's been a tussle going on as to the future of Sky News, whether it will remain as this three-company-owned structure. So at the moment, it's owned by Sky and Britain. You've got Nine and Seven who've both got shares in it. So it's split three ways. And Foxtel obviously want to bring it in-house. So it'll be interesting to see what they actually do there, whether 9 and 7 are really just sort of talking about wanting to maintain ownership of it because they're trying to sort of up the rate that Foxtel will pay for the channel eventually, or if they really do see a value in the service. So, I mean, the thing is, once Sky News, if it leaves Foxtel, as could happen at the end of this year, if that deal isn't renewed, doesn't move to another platform? And if so, where? Because I can't imagine there's really that many places in Australia you could run a Sky News channel. I think it's the end of 2017, the carriage deal. Uh, well, the carriage deal apparently ends at the end of this year, and then it's in, I think, March that the deal between the three companies comes to an end. 
Okay. Well, it comes up for renewal at least. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope that um, they sort out some deal and it continues. See, I think they will because the future of Sky News on any other platform doesn't make sense because you've got three channels that are really quite valuable. So you've obviously got Sky, Sky Business and their weather channel. I think it's their third uh, one. Yep, yep, Sky yeah. News Weather. Well, they've got APEC as well. They also yeah. run. I don't think they own it though. I think they've just got a license to run that, don't they? Mm, I'm not sure. I forget. It's been a few years since I paid attention. <laughs> yeah. But it's been good, APAC, this week, because uh, Thursday of this week they were showing the uh, Senate uh, hearing into the sort of media law reform mm. and uh, hearing from all the media bosses. So that's a, not a lot of people go and watch APEC. I'm just very niche. And, um, but when they have stuff like that, I think it's a, it's a good, great resource. Oh, very much so. But, yeah, I mean, like, can you imagine Sky News propping up as like a Channel 9 multi-channel or something like that? It just doesn't quite seem to fit right. Like, no, I think, but it would be interesting though yeah. if it was on, on a free-to-air platform. So I think its numbers would uh, would grow when people uh, found I'm, it. And you could look at the numbers for some of these new channels like SBS Food, Nine Life. They're both doing great in the ratings, and mm. they've been just slipped out with not a, with not a lot of publicity or promotion. But the audiences have found them. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought Nine could just extend its news brand and create a news channel. They already do it's something like thirteen hours a day of news coverage. So. It's not that much more of a reach. I hope you, Marx, is listening to your to your, um, <laughs> your advice there, Dan. Um, one of the investors in uh, Seven in uh, Sky News is Seven, and there was an announcement this week about their magazine um, division, Pacific Magazines, uh, struck a new deal with Yahoo Seven. Yahoo Seven used to represent, used to manage all the sort of online. Uh, the online home for things like Better Homes and Gardens and uh, uh, Men's Health, Women's Health, uh, I think New Idea, all that sort of stuff. But the rights for all those uh, digital properties are reverting to Pacific, so they'll now look after all their brands online. Uh, I think uh, Pacific's very happy about that. Yahoo 7 will still be involved, though. They'll still be selling the native advertising. So I think uh, the magazines really like to think they control their own uh, their digital audiences now. Well, I think it's great news for all the uh, Pacific Magazine titles because when I used to go on their website, I didn't quite enjoy the experience that I had. So I think a lot of editors will be elated at the fact that they can potentially roll out, um, probably redesign their website. So I think it's a good result for PacMags. Yeah, and it's like the, the old the older days when ACP, later Bauer Media, had all their magazine brands used to be looked after by um, 9MSN. Not a lot of the people at uh, ACP magazine just to grumble and go, oh, yeah, and they were right. The websites didn't look great. Yeah, they haven't looked... They just don't look great when a third party's involved, I think. So, yeah, I think it's it's great news if they can control it Also, um, pu- you know, putting in that personalised touch for each of the brands is, I think, quite important now- nowadays. Look, we might wrap this up this week. A couple of uh, media people, then we'll talk about our highlights of the week quickly. But uh, Mel McLaughlin starts at, uh, will start at 7 this week. She'll be on air from Sunday night. She'll be working Sunday through Thursday, presenting the news on the uh, weeknight bulletin. So she's going straight into the hot seat there. The previous announcer, uh, Jim Wilson, he will stay on as the weekend sports presenter. But he's also sort of the director of uh, sport for uh, 7 News now. That's yeah. a big loss for uh, Ten, who essentially um, Mel essentially became the face of the Big Bash coverage, and you know she actually brought forth that women in um, presenting sports can actually make a make room for themselves. So I think Ten will kind of be recruiting or be at square one in terms of you know who will be their um, face of the Big Bash coverage. 
but on the upside, they've saved some salary, so <laughs> their bottom line could be a little bit better. I don't think they've recruited to replace her yet. The other big announcement was uh, Rebecca Heap got a pretty big promotion at um, at the ABC. Now, I think Director of Programming, I think, is her title. Is yeah. that right, Dan? Uh, yeah, it used to be Head of Audience and Digital, so you'd have to assume that's a pretty big step up. And there's been an entire restructure of ABC TV management where they've really tried to shift themselves from being so heavily aligned as being broadcast-centric to being a multi-platform content um, organization. And we've seen similar moves in across the BBC in the last year or so as well. So a couple of changes there, You're seeing Brendan Darhill, who was formerly head of programming, and now he's only responsible now for the non-scripted team, which it assumes a bit of a demotion, but I'm not sure, like maybe they view it differently internally. So that'd be interesting to talk to them about. Uh, but then you've also got Mandy Chang, who'll be head of arts, Steve Bibb, head of factual, uh, John Casimir, head of entertainment, and events will be Justin Holdforth. And then you've also got... That's pretty much the non-scripted team, isn't it? That's the non-scripted team, yeah. So it's a pretty talented bunch that Brendan gets to work with. Oh, very much so. You'll be probably a bit more hands-on with content, which he might like. Yeah, and I mean, I think the real strength there is maybe not so much what we're seeing on the TV, but if you look at all the original productions that have been creating for ABC iView, a lot of that really fits into that non-scripted space. It's cheaper, it just makes a bit more sense. Um, so, I mean, really, maybe Brendan just seeing this as the possibility for expansion and really sort of establishing his uh, credentials in that space. Okay, look, let's wrap up with some of our highlights of the week. Um, I'll start first. I'll go first. Had a couple... Um Bernard Zool's City Morning Herald review of Brian Wilson at the Sydney Opera House. Bernard, mate, I don't know. What were you thinking? <laughs> Did we go to the same show? I'm sorry, I like a lot, of, a lot of what he writes, but gee, was so off the mark with this. I mean, I'll start by saying we did go to different nights. He went to the Tuesday concert. I saw him on the Thursday night, but gee, Brian Wilson was brilliant. His band was brilliant. They made a reference to Bernard's review <laughs> when one of the guys told the audience, some people think we're too old for this, but, but the audience and uh, certainly the band didn't think they were. No, they just performed. It was just really magic. Was there any musical highlight for you? Oh, mate, just all that they performed. They came out, they started with a sort of a greatest hits. Uh, then there was a, a shortest intermission. They came back and played uh, Pet Sounds, the whole album. Oh, fantastic. Um, then they went off, that was... Oh, no, then they went into another um, another greatest hits. You know, it was, it was just so many good songs. You just forget how many great songs they got. But gee whiz, it was just yeah. wonderful. And quickly, one more thing. Nova's 15th birthday, uh, April 1, 15 years since they went on air. So happy birthday, Nova. Happy birthday. Um, my highlight really, I only had one, uh, which is I told Dan after he's reading his article that I really want to watch you back in the room. Um, <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. So this Sunday, that is what I'll be doing. Yeah. I've seen you back in the room. Uh, my personal <laughs> highlight is going to be the launch today of Comedy Central. So that's launching on the Fetch platform. And it's the first time I've seen Comedy Central actually have a broadcast channel in Australia. Um, I'm interested as a bit of a comedy nerd. So I'm excited to see a bunch of shows like Broad City and Inside Amy Schumer and stuff regularly on my TV. So that's cool. But what I think is really sort of great is I think competition's desperately needed in the marketplace for a lot of different reasons. Uh, so we're talking about the idea of Sky News being on Channel 9 if that ever happened. That'd be great because ABC News 24 would be competing a bit more and, you know, that'd be a strength there. What's great about the Comedy Central launch is that Foxtel with Comedy Channel have had to up their game and you saw the announcement earlier this week that a whole bunch of their Comedy Central shows are now going to be screened pretty much day and date with the US. So they're really competing heavily now with this Comedy Central brand launching with the Comedy Central content. So any introduction of competition in the marketplace, I say is awesome and this is obviously a sign of that. 
being a part of the industry, we've heard of Fetch TV, but how many people outside the industry do you think actually know about Fetch TV? I'd say there's a lot of people in the industry that don't know Fetch TV that mm. well. Uh, it's not a service that goes out there actively campaigning too heavily. Really, it's there as an add-on for something like Optus if you're signing up there. So lots of people who've signed up to new broadband deals in the last year or two are probably a bit more Fetch TV savvy than your average person. Yeah, a lot of Optus customers would know about Fetch, and lots yeah. of Optus have a lot of customers. So. See, I'm an Optus customer, and when they're offered Fetch, uh, Fetch TV to me, I knew remote, like a little bit about what it was, but I didn't really opt for it because I don't need it, I don't think. So I never... Uh, so I never really got into the details of what it is. Yeah, but you only watch YouTube and Daryl Summers' hypnotism shows. <laughs> that is true as well. <laughs> All right, look, that's the end of a short working week. Uh, no, um, plenty of news though, despite we only had four days to get through it all. Mm. Mm. Thanks, thanks uh, team. See you next time. Catch you then. Bye.